0: Please be seated. They wound their way through the crowd that had gathered on the hillside to hear their rabbi, Jesus, speak. It was the end of the day and they were hungry. One by one, they would spread out amongst the little family units gathered and say, hey, got any extra food on you? We need food, some people don't have any food. We need food for everyone. Do you have any food, anything, anything at all? In a large family who had wandered miles out of town to attend the Passover festival and to hear this preacher, Jesus, probably would have been doing well to hold on to what they had. Their selfishness would have been born out of common sense and survival, after all. To run out of food in such a harsh environment and so far away from home could mean the difference between living or dying. Then, of course, they were led by a child, someone who certainly within this crowd would have counted among the least, probably the poorest, who offered his meager offering. Then the disciples and Jesus probably made a big deal out of his example, maybe even incited some righteous guilt and shame amongst the crowd. Look, this little boy's all by himself and he's giving everything. Why can't you? And then olives and fruit and fish and bread miraculously appeared from the crowd. And we can understand out of that, that spontaneous generosity arising out of that healthy shame from witnessing the generosity of someone who on first appearances probably we would think would have nothing. But then we also like to think maybe that, that their generosity arose out of them remembering that they were in fact generous and able to share And then folks began to give of what they had. Now, granted, it's not as interesting as the the Sunday school version I got that Jesus had large baskets that food miraculously piled up in when he waved his hands over it. But it's a miracle that we have witnessed at various times of our lives, haven't we? We witness the generosity of others, and then we follow suit. We suspend our disbelief for a moment, In the scarcity that plagues us, and we succumb to our own generosity, and we succumb to God's generosity. We overcome in the moment our own addiction to scarcity, and we give. Now, at first glance, we might think that the issue here is abundance. But the opposite is true of us all. Like the 5,000 on the lakeside, we cling to what we have in fear that someday we will not have enough. It's no wonder though. I mean, we all had to take Econ 101 in college. Our whole economy is based on the fundamental belief that scarcity rules. This is nothing new. The economics of this world present themselves as a zero-sum game, don't they? Some people have plenty. And so others don't have enough. So I want to make sure that I always have plenty so I never have scarce resources, right? It makes sense. And, you know, even the disciples were these kinds of economists today, right? Somebody, probably Matthew, the tax collector, did some math in the sand furiously when Jesus said, feed them. And he said, Jesus, six-month wages wouldn't be enough. We don't have enough. There's no way we can do this. But we too are like the disciples. We look around in the world around us and we construct for ourselves an idol, a God of scarcity. As one person I read this week put it. And you know, this God of scarcity is not just limited to our money and our tangible resources, though. We limit God's love don't we? We look at the, the worst among us, the criminal, the, the, our enemies, those who would do us harm, the people who believe differently from us, and we think, surely they don't get any of this love that I hear about every week that God has to offer us. God must give me all of that love. And you know, we also follow this God of scarcity even more stringently when it comes to the one currency that we all have control over, our time. There is never enough time, is there? Witness our pathological overscheduling. Notice that I say are and not your. The manic busyness that we all like to brag about on Facebook. I gave one of my clergy colleagues a hard time. No one who works here, by the way. Last week, because she went online and she just outlined all the hard work she did on her Friday before she took Saturday off and she'd written like four sermons and three sermon outlines and restocked the food pantry and made like 20 pastoral calls. Yeah. And it becomes this little contest to see who's the busiest and the most accomplished and the most holy in their busyness. And in my righteous indignation, because I'm a good bit lazier than that. I wrote busyness Is not a sacrament. Yeah, kind of (laughs) self-righteous, but true. We believe that, that, that we do not have enough time, so we have to meticulously account for every moment, don't we? We have to make sure every moment is as productive as possible, because once our time is gone, time, unlike money, never comes back. So we have to spend it in the best way possible. But Jesus destroys this graven image of the God of scarcity for us today. God is not a God of scarcity, he shows us, but a God of abundance. A God who can rule over our money, our love, and even our time. One of the things that our 15 youth who went along with three adults, four adults from our church... Uh, We gathered in the attic for a week that we've called for the second year in a row, ATL Serve. We decided to stop doing mission trips out of town and to do them in town. And so we all lived in the attic all week. And yes, it still stands. And we served at Emmaus House building a walkway. And we served at the Meals on Wheels Adult Day Health Center just across the highway from here. And one of the things that we found one of the themes that we found for the week, especially with our kids who were with uh, at the Adult Day Health Center, which was a center where people with Alzheimer's and dementia would come during the day and spend and get some stimulation and friendship and fellowship. The kids who spent their time there frequently during the day would look at me with these eyes and said, what am I supposed to do? I'm just sitting here. Give me something to do. And I'd always say to him, brother, you're doing it. There was this one lady, Miss Caroline, who um, all she did all day was, was pace around the floor. And at any time of the day, you could be sitting at the table and you'd see everybody look this way. And you'd look up and Miss Caroline would be standing next to you with her hand out. And that meant she wanted you to walk with her. And one of my lacrosse-addicted teenage boys spent the better part of two hours walking laps with her in the senior center. And as he as he ended the came towards the end of this of the two hours, he had this panic look on his face, like I haven't been doing anything, and I had to ease this anxiety and pat him on the back and say, No, 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 this is it. Likewise, we had a group of girls who came in in the morning and sat with this lady, Miss Tina, I'll call her. Miss Tina was in a wheelchair and she would sit at this one table, and I noticed him in the morning sitting with her and they were chatting, and then I went and I went in the other room and did some art with some folks. And then I came back in, and they were still chatting with Miss Tina, and they had these looks on their faces of that were kind of a cross between boredom and desperation. So I walked over to the table, tried to help facilitate this interaction, and I said, and her nurse was standing close by, and I said, Miss Tina, is there something you'd like to do, like go for a walk, or have one of the girls push you around, or go do art? And she kind of she looked at me, she said, No, honey. And the nurse looked at me and said, Miss Tina is doing what she likes to do. She's real good at bending ears. And these girls looked at me like, what are we doing? We're not doing anything. And so I walked over and jokingly held up my hand and said, tag, I'm it. And I sat with Miss Tina for about an hour. And it turned out that in 20-minute cycles, they would have the same conversation. And that night they said, we had the same conversation with Miss Tina four times. And they were frustrated because it felt like they were not doing anything. And they didn't realize, it though, that they were doing battle with this God of scarcity. They were taking this time that they had, this abundant time that they had as teenagers. You know, when we're teenagers, we believe that we have all the time in the world and that we should be able to do everything that we want to do. And here they were having to choose to sit in this poorly lit senior center (laughs) And just hang out with people with dementia. And one of the things that I, we talked about was that for someone with dementia, all they have is the present, right? Miss Tina in 20-minute cycles was meeting you for the first time and was feeling this immense happiness that you were spending time with her. So know that five, six, maybe ten times today, you made her weak. You may have even made her life. One of the biggest tensions that they had to let go of during the week, believe it or not, was this belief that they were not doing anything. The kids from Emmaus House would come back and they'd show us pictures of all the boards they'd ripped up and all the junk they'd thrown out and all the things that they'd nailed together. And it was easy for them to quantify what happened every night. But the kids that went to the senior center had to learn to grapple with the fact that what they had to share was their time and their energy and their attention. They had to share their presence. And they had to act for at least a week on what Jesus gives us today in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They had to embrace this abundance that they carried with them of time and attention and presence. So what we can learn today is that when we embrace this abundance, miracles do happen Giving love can happen. When we let go of our our fear of scarcity and we stop worshiping the God of scarcity, we can feed 5,000. We can love a room full of senior citizens with dementia. We can practice God's economics. In God's economics, the poor are fed, the aged are cared for, and the least of these do not slip through the cracks. God's economics are simple. God loves us abundantly. God loves us wastefully. God loves us with no hint of scarcity. Amen.